Well, it's good to be in God's house this morning. Amen? Amen. I was telling Kirk here that uh, sometimes you meet people and you just know that your paths are going to cross again. And so I had such a great time here on Friday night. Any young people here that were here Friday night? Amen. Man, a lot of people got saved. A lot of people rededicated their life. And uh, God showed up. It's always nice when God shows up when the preacher comes, don't you think? Amen. How many have never heard me preach before? Never. Okay, that's a majority of you. Praise God. Some of you have on Friday night. Just want to warn you, I'm a little unorthodox. I'm not like your average American preacher. Um, so just get ready. No these and thous, no white collars, no scepters. If you kiss me, I'll hit you and repent later. Amen. <laughs> so I, I tell stories. I'm a little different, but it's my personality. And what I really tried to convey to the youth on Friday night, that God does not want to kill your personality. He wants to sanctify it. God doesn't want to kill your ego. He wants to sanctify it so that you use it for him. Any, anybody ever met Benny Hinn before? I have. He's weird. He's a strange puppy. But you know what? He knows God. He knows God. And listen, you can be you and love God with all of your heart. And so I always try to just be Jason. So I just say things the way that I say them. So somehow they come out a little different sometimes. Is that okay? Amen? Let's pray real quick. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're so hungry for what men cannot give us. Lord, we're tired of creeds and doctrines and traditions that originate from men. We desire your pure, undefiled access into your best. So come, Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive what the Spirit of the living God is doing in these last days. Lord, let us be like the sons of Issachar. Let us understand the signs of the times. Let us understand the generation in which we live. Lord, we could have been born in the 8th century, the 9th century, the 15th century. No, you chose us for this end time generation. And there's something we're supposed to do before we go home. So, Father, I thank you that everybody in here is going to walk out completely different than when they walked in. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. I want to sow. Can I sow into your life? Okay, that was three of you. Okay. If you want something, I'll put something in your hand. Um, thank God for technology. You just got to love it. This is called a flash drive for all you techie people. Um, there's about 200 hours of teaching on here. Um, all of my libraries on here, all of my teaching, all of my pastor stuff, and a good friend of mine by the name of Gary Carpenter, I got some of his stuff on there too. So if you have a flash drive and you want that, um, that's out at the back table. You got your hand up there? You're the next contestant on The Price is Right. Here you go. You can have that. Be blessed. Amen. There you go. Oh, sorry, Pops. There you go. Now you got to give it to her. Oh, good on you. Good on you. The basics of fasting. This is by my pastor. Man, fasting. <laughs> fasting sucks. <laughs> hey, I mean, when I fast, I disappear. <laughs> the only other time I disappear is when I go to India. Because I've lived all over India, but I can't stand curry. So I don't eat much when I'm there. But fasting, you know, somebody said, well, you know, your fasting moves God. No, your fasting does not move God. Your fasting moves you in a position to hear his voice on low. And if you want the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you're going to fast. You're going to fast. This is the best teaching I've ever heard on fasting. Who would like this? Okay, there you actually, she had her hand up first. Sorry. There you go. I don't want to have to pray for healing, so be careful. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Thus saith the Lord, John and Lisa Bevere, very good friends of mine. They came to me about 10 years ago and said, hey, would you mind taking our stuff into the Middle East? Because I do a lot in the Islamic nations. And I said, sure, I'd love to. 
I'd love to. So I take their material. I love John's teaching. I love Lisa's teaching all over. Thus saith the Lord, how to know when God is speaking to you through another. Anybody know who a man by the name of Dr. Lester Summerall was? Okay. He spoke into my life when I was young, dumb, and stupid in Bible school. And he said, don't just let anybody speak into your life. Don't just let anybody lay hands on you and pray. Don't let anybody just give you a word. You know what they call, I call them parking lot prophets because they prophesy outside the church because they can't prophesy in the church. They get to you when you're going to the car. Thus saith the Lord, God, God, you know, G-A-W-D, God, you know, run from those people, run from those people. You just don't let anybody lay hands on you. You just don't let anybody speak in your life. Can I tell you a funny story? I learned this in Bible school. I was sitting there in Bible school and I had to go to the bathroom. So I went into the bathroom and my friend Josiah was right next to me. And you know what guys do in the bathroom? It's called a urinal. You know, they go to the bathroom. So we're sitting there, you know, going to the bathroom. And he's right next to me. And all of a sudden he just lays his hand on me and says, thus saith the Lord. I said, Josiah, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, where was your hand before it hit my head? He goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot to wash my hands. I said, don't ever do that again. Don't ever do that again. Don't just let anybody lay hands on you. Amen? Who would like that? There you Ah, oh, well, hey, there you go. There you go, sweetheart. You're welcome. There you go. Peace, the aggressive weapon of God. You know, the highest form, the lowest form of prosperity is gold, silver, money, CDs, land, houses, and boats. Highest form of prosperity is peace. The peace that passes all understanding. Who would like this over here? There you go, mom. There you go. Be blessed. Experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. This is mine. A lot of stories of the Middle East of what happened to me in Pakistan. First time I went to Pakistan, it was like no other. I actually had to postpone my trip for a year because the Sunday morning, the Muslims came in and machine gunned down the congregation like 16 people were killed. How many would postpone your trip a little bit, you know, and make sure that God's in it, you know? And so I finally went back to Pakistan and, and I sat in the, they had a little thing like this and the women on this side and the men on this side. And the pastor put me right next to the window and he said, uh, excuse me, Jason, just be careful when you're by the window. I said, why? He said, because the Muslims come and throw hand grenades in the church. I said, oh, great. Here we go again. So there's a lot of stories experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit, not the person of the Holy Spirit. We all know he's a person, but how do you get his power in your life? There you go, sweetheart. You see this girl right here? What's your name again? Lena. She came up to me and she said, you know, do you remember me? And I said, no, I don't. She goes, 15 years ago, you were preaching in Wanganui and there was a group of people that followed me around from city to city to city to city to city. And she was one of them. 15 years ago. Oh man, I think that's way cool. Way cool. Vision. How do you get a vision in your life? Listen, you got to have a vision, people. There's two, there's two visions basically you have. You have the corporate vision, okay? It's called the rock church. But then you also have your personal vision for what God's called you to do on a personal level, okay? And one of the quickest ways to see your vision come to pass is help this lady and her husband get to their vision. I'm actually preaching my sermon, so I want to stop there. But how do you get a vision? There's nine CDs. I was actually up in Walkworth. My good friend, Trevor Yaxley, I was at his Bible school, uh, Lifeway, preaching on vision. There you go, mate. There you go. Amen. And this is uh, by Lisa Bevere. Nurture, give and get what you need to flourish. And I wanted to bless you with that. 
Amen? And then one more, this is what I'm preaching on today, how to speed up your destiny. I actually just finished writing my first book. Bevere grabbed me aside and he said, you need to start putting pen to paper. You know, and I said, oh gosh, it's just your first book is just a pain in the butt. I mean, it is a pain. And I wanted it to be ready for this trip, but it's not. It's at the editors right now, but it's how to speed up your destiny. And that's what I'm going to speak on today. Oh, okay. You in the red, you come down and you can have that. Okay. Oh, is that, did you want it? Okay. Yeah, I'd throw it, but it, someone might get hurt. Amen. Okay. Are you ready for God's word? Amen. 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 Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter eight. Matthew chapter eight. If you're wondering why there's no pulpit up here, I really don't like pulpits. I went to jail so many times when I was in the world that I usually saw a guy in a black robe and a judge. So I really just not into pulpits anymore. He usually said guilty. Amen. You ready for God's word? I got saved at the ripe old age of 25. Okay. I thought I was old. Now, for those that were here on Friday, I shared a little bit of my testimony. For those that have never heard me preach before, I'm going to, my testimony takes about two hours, but I'm going to give it to you in about three and a half minutes. Okay. And, uh, I didn't wake up and say, Hey, I think I'll be a preacher. I didn't, I didn't have a praying mother. I didn't have a praying father. I didn't come from a Christian family, a line of heritage or anything like that. <clears throat> Magic Johnson and Larry Bird were my gods. I played basketball. I was a big basketball star growing up in California, and I was, had a boyhood dream come true, and I got to have lunch on several occasions with Magic Johnson and Larry Bird and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and I mean, these guys were jolly green giants, and here I was a little white boy. And I grew up on the basketball courts with the blacks in Los Angeles, and then I grew up in a Hispanic neighborhood, and they called me Weta, white boy. Everybody in my family's dark, except me. I have blonde hair and blue eyes, but all my brothers and sisters, they're, they're all dark. I thought my mom was dating the milkman. I'm like, you know, where did I come out of all this? I mean, geez, I look just totally different. And so I grew up on the basketball court, and I was a good basketball. I was in all the newspapers. I was in every, everything you could imagine, a boyhood dream come true. But I came from a highly dysfunctional family, highly dysfunctional American family. Had a lot of tragedy in my life. And uh, I went to the University of Arizona. I was the first person in my family to get accepted to a major university and actually go. I majored in cocaine and minored in dope. Uh, used to party, used to do everything that the young American boy or New Zealand boy or girl would probably do when you're in the world. Because I wasn't taught. Nobody taught me the word of God. I didn't grow up in church. I went to Catholic school as a little boy. I grew horns, not a halo. And tormented the nuns. Boy, did we torment the nuns. Oh, it was so fun. So fun. And um, so I didn't wake up and say, hey, I think I'll be a preacher. And then I began to walk the beaches of California, just saying, God, are you real? Is it, is it Buddha? Is it Allah? Is it Mohammed? Who are you? And so I did that for two years and God showed up and I got radically saved. I had the road to Damascus experience. He came to see me twice, once on a golf course in Palm Springs, California, and then three days later in Newport Beach, California on the 56th Street River Jetty. And I got radically saved, and I got into Bible school. I was the youngest Christian in Bible school. I, I like to say this joke. All my friends have been saved since Noah. You know, they come from third-generation Pentecostal preachers, kids, you know, all these different countries. I sat right here with this woman of God sitting on the front row. I had no money. I didn't know anything. Christians were as weird as weird can be. In California, they breed fruits, nuts, and flakes. And so I had a very difficult time in Bible school. I had a very difficult time in Bible school. And, and, and I went through Bible school, and I graduated, and on graduated on Saturday afternoon, and on Monday morning, I was in the jungles of Thailand preaching. And I came home, I was working at a restaurant called the Cheesecake Factory in Newport Beach, California, waiting on rich, rude people. 
and I quit my job and I went to India and I went full time and I've been going ever since. In 2001, the Lord came to me and said, I'm going to take you into the Islamic nations, into the Middle East. Will you go? And I said, yeah. So I started in Kuwait, went to Kuwait expecting a church of a couple hundred and it was 4,000 strong. And in that 4,000, it was represented by 53 different ethnic groups. So it was the gateway to the Gulf states. So then Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Israel, Cyprus, Pakistan, Afghanistan, all of them begin to just open like dominoes for me. So in the last, you know, 15 years or whatever, I've been to about 101 countries. I've been around the world 68, 70 times, actually 69 times counting this trip, 69 times. And uh, I've been in two wars. I've been jailed four times in foreign countries. I've been captured by the Muslims twice. I've been beat, thrown in prison, drug out of cities, you name it. It's happened to me because I love God. And I would have made it in Hollywood, dang it. I would have made it. I know I would have made it. There's only one problem. I don't think I would have made the pearly gates at the end of this life had I made it in Hollywood. So, and that's my testimony in a nutshell, and I wish I had more of them, but they took them all on Friday night. I think, I think that some of the youth stole them, which is cool. And uh, so when I got saved at 25, I said, you know, I'm 25 years old. I'm old, man. I'm old. See, that's why I look at all you young people here, and I just, I think... Man, nobody came to me when I was their age and told me that God's good and God is real. Do you know Oral Roberts is? I went to his funeral not too long ago because I I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma now. Do you know when he came out in the 1970s, 75, 76, 77, he said, God is a good God. Do you know he lost thousands and thousands of his partners because he came out with that statement that God is a good God? Because people couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. I love God with all of my heart. Am I dysfunctional? Absolutely. I worship at Starbucks every morning. I take three showers a day. I mainline Mexican food like a drug addict. I love Mexican food. Of course, we all have our dysfunctions. But you know what? God is a good God. He's a good God. So I said, God, is there a way that I can speed things up in my life? Because I'm 25. Gosh, I wasted 25 years serving the devil Is there a way that I can speed things up in my life? Because if you haven't noticed, things are speeding up in the world right now. I mean, you want to talk about Daniel's thing coming true? Knowledge shall increase. I mean, things are speeding up. Listen, 9-11 was just the beginning, people. That's just the beginning. They're going to get a bomb and they're going to detonate it. And 100,000 people are going to be vaporized. You want to talk about mass pandemonium? You want to talk about mass fear? Israel's going to strike Iran. It's just a matter of time because they don't want them to get a nuclear bomb. So they're going to preemptive strike. So your gas prices are going to go from $11 to $15 overnight. I mean, us Americans, my, a gallon of gas is $2.36 in my, in my city. And us Americans are complaining. I'm like, go to Australia and New Zealand, mate. That's gas prices. Things are speeding up, people. Things are speeding up. So I said, God, what's How can I speed things up in my, I want my destiny sped up. What what do I have to do? And he gave me two, two things. First and foremost, number one, there is no shortcut to the anointing. Okay. There's no shortcut to the anointing. Listen, if you want God's best in your life, you're going to be sucking carpet. What does that mean? You're going to be on your face with the snot coming out, the tears, travailing, praying in tongues, worshiping God, fasting. Why? Because most anointings in your life are given in times of great adversity, not prosperity. It's when all hell's breaking loose against you. 
There's no shortcut to the anointing. And number two, all shortcuts will cut you short. What does that mean? You're going to go around the stinking mountain again and again and again before you even think about trekking up if you try to make a shortcut. There's no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts. Listen, the time's coming when this, this building will be too small for you. You'll go out of three and four services a day and you'll need a bigger building. You need a bigger building. So I said, God, what's the key? How do you speed things up in your life? Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. We're going to start at verse 5. It says, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. There's the answer to your question, people. If you're wondering if God will heal you, uh, yeah, he will. And it is his desire. Oh, you got it up there. Okay, cool. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such, what? Say great faith. Come on, say great faith. Great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many shall come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, let it be done for you. This is only one person. And there's only one more from Genesis to Revelation that Jesus said, great is your faith. He looked at people and said, oh, you have no faith. Then he looked at the 12, James and John, I call ding and dong, okay? They walked with Jesus, they saw Jesus, they saw the miracles, and he was constantly saying to the 12, oh, you of little faith, oh, you of little faith. It's kind of a type and shadow of the church. We come in, we worship God, we give in the offering, we did it, and a lot of times God comes to us and says, oh, you of little faith. Then you get a guy like blind Bartimaeus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What did religion do? Be quiet, blind Bartimaeus. You're just a poor man. You need a manicure. You've never been in the, in the green room. You've never been to a Hillsong conference or a Benny Hinn crusade. You be quiet. Come on, blind. What did he? He shouted all the more. And the Bible says he threw his garments aside. He was homeless, people. Do you know what that means? He ran to Jesus butt naked. Yeah. What does the Bible say? Your faith has made you well, not your great faith. I'm thinking, man, that's a pretty cool miracle. How about the lady with the issue of blood? Just for being outside in that day, she'd be stoned. She fought through the crowd. If I can just touch his garment, she gets her miracle. Your faith has made you well, not your great faith. How about the 10 lepers? And they got new epidermis and new dermis skin, brand new baby butt skin right all over them. You just want to touch it all day. It's like my son. He's three. His little rear end. It's so cute. It's so cute until he goes number two. However, but it's, you just, you just, you can just play with it. And I put it in my hand and I spank his butt and he just laughs and giggles. They got brand new skin all over them. They leave, they, they, they were made whole, and what is, their faith has made them well, not their great faith. 
So my question to God was, why did this guy have great faith? He's a Roman centurion. Okay, the Bible says he'd entered into Capernaum. Okay, anybody been to modern day Israel? Okay, a few of you have been to Israel. The first thing I learned about Israel, it's, it, it's so small. It's so small. It's the size of the state of New Jersey. It's got about 7 million people there. Okay, now I can't prove this, but this is what I believe. Okay, if you back up in the chapters in Matthew, he was doing the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Okay, and the Bible says he skirted around into Capernaum, which is just a hop, skip, and a jump from the Beatitudes. Okay, and all of a sudden this Roman centurion, what is a Roman centurion? He's a man of authority, number one. Number two, he has jurisdiction over 50 to 100 soldiers. So he says, hey, listen, my servant is at home, tormented. Will you come and heal him? Will you come touch him? See, now I can't prove it, but I believe that that Roman centurion was at the Sermon on the Mount. I believe that he heard the wisdom of Jesus and he saw the authority of Jesus. See, listen, to the degree that you submit to authority is the degree that you'll operate in authority. See, until you see, and this is where New Zealand, Australia, especially America and the morons in America, they try to understand the kingdom of God with a democratic mindset. It's not a democracy, people. It's a kingdom and it operates in different principles. It's not a democracy. But you know what? I have authority. I know that because God's given it to me. But you know what? When I see my pastor and I come into my pastor's presence, I recognize a greater authority. And I have no problem submitting to that authority. When you understand authority, you have no problem submitting to authority. Now, here's the problem. Many people have been burned by authority. As we say in America, that's the burnover fields. People are like, I don't want church anymore. Well, because you got your eyes off, uh, off of God and you got them on people. I've been guilty of that. Do everything as unto the Lord and you'll finish your race. And as long as you've got people on planet earth, you're going to have problems. And as long as you've got Christians, you're going to have major problems. Because <laughs> it's been my experience, wherever two or three Christians are gathered together in his name, there's confusion in the midst. <laughs> Can I get an amen from my Kiwi friends? Jeez, Louise, you ought to come to Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Mecca of Christianity, the, bu the, the buckle of the Bible belt. This guy says tongues isn't for today. This guy says the gifts of the spirit passed away. This guy says if the women wear makeup that they're going to hell and da, 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 and they all are preaching something different and they all hate each other. Yet my Bible says the Holy Spirit's first and foremost commission in our life is to lead us and guide us into all truth. And thy word, it is truth. There's only one Holy Spirit and one word of God, yet no one can agree with each other. So all of a sudden, this guy is a Roman centurion. Listen, the Jews hated the Romans and the Romans hated the Jews. Okay? He was not even a Jew. He was not a Christian. He did not speak in tongues and cast out devils. He had never been to a Hillsong conference. He had never been to a Benny Hinn crusade. He was not even living under the law. He runs up to Jesus and says, hey, bro, I know who you are. My servant is at home, tormented. Can you come and heal him? And Jesus says, yeah, bro. I'll come heal him. Not a problem. Just freaked out the 12, made the Pharisees even more angry, the audacity of him to go to a Roman centurion at any time the Romans would crucify a thousand Christians on the streets of Jerusalem. And listen, he says, I'll come. And he says, no, 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 no. You stop right there. All you got to do is speak one stinking word, Jesus. Just one word. I know who you are. 
See, because I'm a man under authority. I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to that one, go, and he goes. This, boom, boom, boom. He says, there's a place in your Christianity, people, that you can go from faith over to great faith. See, in America, especially, we have prayer line junkies and conference junkies. They go to conference, to conference, to conference, to conference, and they're still weird. And they fall down under the power of God because they've been watching too much Christian television. And they get up, but they get up not changed. And we have our prophetic words that God spoke, and we want 10 angelic visits, and we want a financial miracle. Yet this guy says, just speak one word, and my servant shall be healed. There's a place that you can go from faith over to great faith in one offering, in one fast, in one prayer, in one statement. And then Jesus says, I have not found such great faith, not even in all of Israel. Do you know what that means? If he had not found it, that means he was looking for it. So if that guy can have great faith, we can have great faith. Listen, never excommunicate yourself from something that God has included you in. That's false humility, people. If it's in the word of God, you can have it. If you've got the guts to believe it, you can have it. So if this guy, why would I want faith when I can have great faith? Why would I want 30 when I can have 60 or 100 fold? Like my friend Trevor Yaxley said, he said, Jason, you know why people ask for 30 fold? I said, why? He said, because they got 70% of garbage in their life. So what made him different? Why did he have great faith? That was my question to God. Because if he can have it, I want it. I'm not going after faith. I want great faith. I want great faith. I was in a Bible college in Kiev, Ukraine years ago, and I was preaching on this. And you know how Romans 11, or excuse me, Hebrews 11 says, now faith is. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Jason, great faith is now. Great faith is now. If you want it. See, your faith is there for you to use. Absolutely. That's what it's there for. But if you want to go to another echelon, you want to go higher in the things of God, you can have great faith. So let's go look at the other girl. This lady I love. Matthew. Chapter 15. Oh, I like this lady. Wait till you see what... We're going to start at verse 21. Let's see if they put it up there. Okay, cool. Then Jesus went away from there and withdrew into the, the district of Tyre and Sidon. And then a Canaanite woman, a woman, people, a woman. Guys, if you got problems with ladies in ministry, you go suck an egg and get over it. They're called just as much as we are. Amen? And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. But he answered and said, I was not sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Next verse. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, Is it not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs? But he said, yes, Lord, but even the little dogs feed the, on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And Jesus heard, oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done as you desire. Can you go back to the, to the beginning, verse 21 again? Now, I'm going to show you something about this lady. This lady is awesome. Okay? Only two people in the word of God that Jesus said, great is your faith. Now the 12 had a coronary. Okay, we, we could handle the Roman centurion. He was a man of authority. But this woman... Jesus, how dare you? The audacity of you, Jesus. Are you on Prozac? 
What are you, are, are you, a, are you, Jesus, are you smoking dope? What's going on here? How dare you say that this Canaanite woman had great faith? Oh, he just made religion so angry, people. So let's look at this thing. Jesus went out from there and withdrew to the, to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Stop right there. Anybody ever been to modern day Lebanon? <coughs> Anybody? No one? Okay. Let me just tell you about Tyre and Sidon. I spent a lot of time in Beirut. Right next to my, pa- my, my friend, Pastor Shaddy. His church is right next door to Hezbollah. I got to actually meet all of the leaders of Hezbollah and Hamas and Islamic Jihad and all of them. I shook their hands. I was like, dude, you have devils. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ty- <laughs> Tyre and Sidon is not the place that you would go for a family vacation. Excuse me, Judah. Come on, buddy. It's my son's name. Judah. Judah. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to have a vacation. We're going to picnic basket and everything. Where are we going, daddy? Tyre and Sidon. No, 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 no. It was a modern day Las Vegas. Black market. Corruption. It was a very nasty mafia. Drugs, prostitution, gamble. I mean, everything. And isn't it amazing? The Bible says that Jesus departed to that region. Why? Because of the faith of this woman. There's a certain cry of your heart, people, that gets the attention of heaven. There's a certain cry of your heart that will stop heaven in its tracks. He departed and withdrew and tired and so on. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out and began to cry out, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now, did you miss it like I did 10,000 times? Holy Spirit said, Jason, read it again. So I read it again. And I read it again, cried out saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon possessed. He said, you didn't get it. Read it again. So I read it again and again and again and again. He said, you didn't get it. Read it again. So I read it again and 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 again. He said, you didn't get it. I said, you're up there. I'm down here. Help. What am I not seeing? Did I smoke too much dope? Did I eat too many mushrooms in college? What's going on here? Holy Spirit, if you don't help me. And I read it again. And he said, you didn't get it, Jason. Read it again. And I read it over and over and over a thousand times. A thousand times. And I finally got it. Come here. What's your name, bro? Josh. Come on, Josh. You're Jesus. Okay. We got, we got a skinny white Jesus here. There you go. It's all right. I'm skinny and white too. Okay. So he's Jesus. I'm the lady. Okay. Yeah, whoo. All right. So the lady runs up to Jesus and says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. That's what she said, right? But shouldn't she have said this? Run up to Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on my daughter. My daughter is severely demon possessed. No, 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 no. That's not what she said. She said, Have mercy on me. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And then the Lord illuminated the scripture to me. The reason why the daughter was demon-possessed was because of the ungodly lifestyle of the mother. See, moms and dads, when you do stuff that's not right before God, it opens the door to your children. And the reason why this girl was sleeping around, smoking dope, demon-possessed, was because of the mother's lifestyle. She was into the occult. She was doing it. She was a very, she was a woman of the night. She was a very ungodly woman. And she runs up to Jesus and says, you know what? I'm going to take responsibility for the first time in my life. My daughter's jacked up because of me, so have mercy on me. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And the Lord said, Jason, this was an ungodly woman. Yet Jesus said, great is your faith. And I'm thinking, 
boy, that'll not give you a definition of the grace of God, the mercy of God, the long-suffering of God. Thanks, Jesus. And Jesus said, great is your faith. And look, look at the Bible says, have mercy on me. But he did not even answer her a word. Man, Jesus, you love people. What do you mean you didn't even answer a word? You didn't even say anything. Most people get offended if pastor's wife and his and, and pastor don't shake their hand on Sunday morning. Hey, you didn't shake my hand. I'm new to this church. Bless God. I'm not coming back to that place. <laughs> yeah, all they want's my money. Yeah, they're, just, yeah, they're taking another offering. All they want's my money. Yeah, pastor's not in Cambodia. He's in the Virgin Islands, probably just camping out, having fun. Yeah, boy, and I gave, you know, $5,000 for that trip. And boy, he's suffering for Jesus on the beach. Could you imagine Jesus walking in here and didn't say anything? In fact, Jesus wouldn't even come to church. He, he wouldn't, if he was in New Zealand, he, wouldn't, he probably wouldn't come to church. You know where he'd be? He'd be in the, in the, in the cancer ward at Children's Hospital cleaning it out. That's where he'd be. He'd be in the insane asylums, walking there, just smacking the devil upside the back of the head. That's where he'd be. He didn't even answer a word. I'm thinking, Lord, you love people. Ah, he was baiting her. He knew exactly what he was doing. He departed to that region on purpose. See, listen, there comes a time in your life, when, especially when you're new, when you're a baby Christian, it's so cool. You say, Jesus, and he goes, yay. You pray and he answers. You give and it comes back to you. Everything's all great, but then there comes a time you got to grow up in the things of God. And a lot of times he'll pull his presence back. Why? So that you go after him more and start seeking him more. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Those, not all, those. So a lot of times God will pull his presence back, not because you're in sin. There is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus that walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. But he wants you to go after him more and hunger for him more. That's what he's doing to this girl. Canaanite woman. And look, and here comes religion. Here comes ding and dong. Come on. And his disciples came and implored him saying, send her away because she keeps shouting at us. You know what? Good on her. Good on her. You don't, you don't suffice religion. You just make it nervous and blow it up. See, religion goes, shh. No, blow it up. Heaven is loud, people. It's not quiet. It's loud. Blow that boat up. Send her away, for she cries out after us. And he answered and said, I was not sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Next verse. But she came and she began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. You know, when you're at your, at your wit's end, is usually your miracle is right around the corner. If you're praying, keep praying. If you're fasting, keep fasting. If you're believing, keep believing. God will answer according to his word. This lady did not stop. Jesus didn't ignore her. Didn't even say a word to her. Then he says, I was not sent except to the house sheep of the, of the house, lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he answered and said, oh, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Anybody Jewish in here? Oh, cool. Anybody else Jewish? Okay, that makes all of us swine-eating Gentiles. We're all dirty, rotten dogs. 
Isn't that cool? That's what Jesus would call us. That's what he called her. Yet she had great faith. Go figure that. If you put that in your pipe and smoke it, I mean, hello. Sorry, I can't take the bread and throw it to you, dog, dog. Man, most people would never come back to church again. The heck with that pastor called me a dog. Now I know they're stealing my money. Now I know he's in the Virgin Islands instead of Cambodia. I ain't going back there. And we sit here and we just, the smoke coming out your ears and everything. Says, I can't even take it. But she said, but even dogs feed from the crumbs which fall from the master's table. And Jesus said, oh woman, great is your faith. There's a place in your Christianity when you go from faith over to great faith, Jesus will stop and he'll take a step back and he'll walk into your circumstances. He'll pick you up and he will move you into your destiny quickly. Quickly. Now, for the sake of time, I'm just, I don't want you to go there. But remember the wedding at Canaan? Everybody remember the story? If you grew up in the charismatic circus like I did. The wedding at Canaan. They run out of wine. And don't even go there. Was it fermented or was it not fermented? They were all hammered. How do you run out of wine at a wedding before the flippin' wedding even starts? They were drunk. They were hammered. Hey, don't worry, the Catholics are already at happy hour right now. I, trust me, I, I grew up in that. She walks up to Jesus and says, Hey, I'm paraphrasing Jason Hamlin translation. They ran out of wine. And what does Jesus say? Woman, my time has not yet come. You know, he didn't say, Mom, relax. Mom, take a chill pill. Mom, here's the hand. Stop. What was, what was he saying? Mom, it's not time for me to come out with my miracles and signs and wonders. It's not time for me to tell the world who I am. But what did Mary do? Mary was awesome. She turned to the servant and said, whatever he says to do, do it. And right there, Jesus stopped and said, Mom, you had to do that, didn't you? You had to do that. She went from faith to great faith. And she sped up the destiny of the Lord Jesus Christ because of her great faith. So what made them different? What made them different? Why did the Roman centurion and the Canaanite woman, why did they have great faith and everybody else just had faith and little faith and no faith? What made them different? The Holy Spirit dropped it in. It changed my life forever. He said, Jason, the reason why these two had great faith and Mary had great faith was because they both used their faith. Listen, they both used their faith to serve another human being. The Canaanite woman used her faith for her daughter. And the Roman centurion used his faith for his servant. And Mary used her faith for everybody at the wedding. And for to speed up. When you begin to start going from faith over to great faith. When you start using your faith for the people outside of the four walls of the church. God pulls the hand grenade on your ministry, your business, your entrepreneurship, whatever it is you're called to. And he begins to launch you out. Why? Because you've went from faith over to great faith. And Jesus will stop. He'll go into your life. He'll pick you up and start moving you into your destiny. But people all the time, especially Christians, geez, Louise, I thank you, Jesus. I'm not a pastor. I'd shoot you all. What about me? What about me? It's not about you, people. Listen, bro, what's your name? 
Jonathan. It's not about Jonathan. It's about him. And it's not about him. It's about her. And it's not about her. It's about her. And it's not about Tom. It's, it's about others. And when you get your mind, well, what about me? It ain't about you. It's not about you. Do you know who William Booth was? Salvation Army. At the end of his life, he had 10,000 evangelists on staff. Boy, you want to talk about a payroll check. 10,000. And after he sent his, his, his missionaries out and his evangelists, they wrote back and said, man, it's not working. It's not working, General Booth. What do we do? And he wrote back a letter with two words on it. Try tears. Try tears. Groaning, travailing for the lost. Try tears. They wrote back again and said, it's not working. It's not working, General Booth. What do we do? What do we do? They were all discouraged. They wanted to give up. General Booth wrote back another letter with one word on it. Others. Others. See, yes, your faith is there for you to use. Absolutely. That's what you need. That's what it's for. But if you want to go to another echelon with God, you want, you, you, you're, you're stuck in a rut. You're thinking, man, God, I've, I've been believing you. And then, no, 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 no. Maybe, maybe you ought to start using your faith to serve other people. When you start to really use your faith to serve others, you go from faith over to great faith. And as the Holy Spirit told me when I was in Kiev, Ukraine, great faith is now. There's a lost and dying world called New Zealand that has not heard the gospel. Start using your faith to serve others. You watch what God does in your life. See, I told the, told the people the other night at a Bible study, how many in here need a financial miracle? Everybody lift your hand up. I could use one. Heck yeah, I always use one. Absolutely. But you know what? That's God's second best. You know why? He's got to go get fruit off of someone else's tree and put it on your tree. God's first is when he can come to you and say, go meet that guy's need. And my friend Gary Carpenter said it this way. He said, God, when you have a need, come to my house first. Come to my house first. Why? Because when I start using my faith for you, See, the quickest way to my destiny is help somebody else get to their destiny. The quickest way to see my vision come to pass is help somebody else get to their vision. Quickest way out of financial debt. Go find somebody that's in debt and help them get out of debt. Well, what about me? It's not about you. It's not about you. The quickest way, church, to see your vision come to pass in your personal life is help this woman and her husband get to their vision. And if you get behind their vision, you watch what God does in your vision. That's why my book table out there, there's not much left because I, I sell a lot of resources. I take five or six ministries with me. I take hundreds of pounds of luggage. My excess baggage weights is in the tens of thousands of dollars just to get it on the plane. Why? Because John and Lisa and Dave Roberson and Kevin Cortez and these different people, they've so sewed into my life. And one of the quickest ways to see my destiny come to pass is I get behind their destiny and I help them get to their destiny and God just fires me into the nation's. And I have friends in, in ministry today, especially my Bible college friends. They're just, some of them are a bunch of knuckleheads. What are you doing promoting those other guys' ministries all over the world? I said, you missed the whole point. You missed the whole point, you knucklehead. It's not about John and Lisa. It's about you. It's about you. So I'm sitting in the house of the Lord, Starbucks, worshiping. My double espresso, pump of vanilla, two sugar in the raw, three equals nine sweet and low. A little Holstein milk, no foam, extra hot. Okay. Just sitting there, sitting there. That's what I have. Every, everybody knows me. All of Starbucks knows me. Sitting there, just minding my own business one day, drinking a latte. I used to work at Disneyland, okay? And I became a people watcher. 
at Disneyland. People are strange. So I always love to watch people, especially on Gay and Lesbian Day. Gay and Lesbian Day, they would lock down the park and all the gays and lesbians would come and rent out Disneyland. Boy, that, you just... <laughs> so I love to watch people, especially at the airports. So I'm sitting at Starbucks just watching people. Just watching people. And the Lord speaks to me and says, begin to feed the poor with this company, Starbucks, and I'll give you favor to the top of Starbucks as well as with corporate America. See, Dr. Lester Summerall came to my Bible school and sowed the seed of building a global Feed the Hungry one day. I just thought I'd have more wisdom, more gray hair, and a whole lot more money. So I, start, I approached Starbucks, which is very left-wing. Okay, it's just like Disneyland. The gay and lesbian is, is massive in Starbucks. And me being a preacher, I said, can I feed the poor with your food? They said, we've been looking for somebody, but nobody will be consistent. They do it for a little while, and then they stop. And I said, well, let me guess who was doing it before me. It must have been the church, huh? She goes, how did you know? Because <laughs> wherever two or three Christians are gathered, there's confusion in the midst. We're the only faith. We shoot our own wounded. We shoot our wounded. So I started with two bags of Starbucks pastries. The first 30 days by myself out of my two-seater car, I fed 7,000 people. The first 60 days by myself out of my two-seater car, I fed about 18,000 people. The first 90 days by myself out of my two-seater car, I fed just under 34,000 people. One Starbucks turned into five, five turned into 10, 10 turned into 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80. From LA all the way down to San Diego and Mexico area. I had literally hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of food coming in. Hundreds of thousands of dollars of food. My alternator went out. My brakes went out. My tires went out. My clutch went out. I needed gas money. Don't be fooled, Ben. If you want to start feeding people, it costs cash. Benjamin Franklin's. And I remember saying, God, I went to the ATM in Corona Del Mar, California. I had $20 to my name, 20 bucks. And I see what's going on here, Jesus. 20 bucks. He says, what are you going to do with that 20? Are you going to put gas in it to go feed the poor? Or are you going to go feed your flesh? I said, can I do both? <laughs> I only got 20 bucks. What am I going to get? A couple Big Macs. And he said to me, Jason, why do you need money? See, listen, when God asks you a question, he's not seeking information. Which one of you are going to walk up to Jesus and whisper some deep, dark secret in his ear that he didn't know a few millennials before you graced this planet? Oh, my God, my secret sin. Oh, please. He knows it all, people. He knows it all. He said, Jason, why do you, why do you need money? I said, because I can feed more poor people, God, and preach your gospel. He said, thank you, Jason. You just went from faith over to great faith. It's on the way. A week later, I'm sitting in Starbucks, just minding myself, my double espresso, pump of vanilla, two sugars and coffee equals nine sweet and milk, extra hot, no foam. Just minding my own business, not doing anything. This businessman walks in. He goes, are you Jason Hamlin? I said, yeah. He goes, you're the guy feeding poor people, aren't you? I said, yeah. I said, can I help you? I had no idea. He goes, you know, I just sold some land. Can I give you a check for $5,000 to feed the poor? I said, yeah. Five grand? He said, yeah. Is that okay? Handed me $5,000 cash. I was like dancing in Starbucks like everybody was looking at me. Why? Because I went from faith over to great faith. And when you start using your faith to serve others, God begins to pull the hand grenade on every whatever it is he's called you to do and begins to launch you in doing everything he called you to do. I was like 5,000 bucks. I went and filled my tank up. I went and had a big old flipping steak. I had cheesecake. I had every ungodly, unholy piece of food I could shove in my mouth. 
They said, God, I need bread. I need bread, God. They're asking me for bread. They're asking me for bread. I need bread. He said, Jason, why do you need bread? He said, so I can feed more poor people, God, and preach your gospel. He said, it's on the way. So I'm driving down Chapman Avenue in Orange County, California, and the Lord says, go into that Albertsons, which is like your big department, uh, grocery store, and talk to the bread lady. And I went, oh, my, I almost crashed my car. So I, whew, I went in there. I walked in. I said, uh, excuse me, can I, who's your bread lady? Oh, she's in the back. I said, excuse me. I said, you know, um, I started feeding poor people, and I was wondering, um, can I have your, do you, would you be interested in donating your leftover bread? You know what? Just that morning, she said, Jason, just this morning, I was wondering, what am I going to do with all this bread? What am I going to do with all of this bread? And guess what? She was also a backslidden Christian. Yeah, God wanted me to get the bread, yes, but he was after her heart as well. And so I said, she goes, okay, Jason, come with me. Please come with me. And so we went into the big warehouse, kind of like about this big, and she starts pulling thousands of loaves off the, off the shelf. And I went, oh, Jesus. I said, is this all for me? She goes, oh, yeah, this is all for you. Can you take it? I said, yeah. How, God? Oh, my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Literally thousands of loaves off the bread. I had to make like 10 trips in my car. So guess what I did? I said, God, I need a truck. I need a truck, God. He said, Jason, why do you need a truck? Isn't God awesome? He's so awesome. Why do you need a truck? So I can feed more poor people and preach your gospel and get people saved and meet their needs. He said, thank you, Jason. You just went from faith over to great faith. Your truck is on the way. I'm sitting in Starbucks again, double espresso, one puff of vanilla. <laughs> sitting there. I've led more people to, to, to Jesus and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a Starbucks, in a Starbucks parking lots than anywhere else in the rest of the world. I'm sitting there just minding my own business. And this other man walks in. He says, uh, he says, uh, are you Jason? I said, yeah, I am. I said, can I help you? I don't know. Who, I don't know you. He goes, oh, no, no. Well, I heard that you're feeding some poor people. He said, yeah. I said, yeah, I am. He says, you know what? God woke me up last night. He goes, he goes, can I give you my big truck? I went, yeah. Yeah, you can give me your truck. He says, okay, come to my business tomorrow morning. I'll sign the title over to you. And I thought, God, you're so awesome. I said, that's, man, and I, went, I was there at five o'clock in the morning and it was candy apple red, but my favorite color is yellow. Okay, Corvette yellow. Everything in my ministry is yellow. I'm a yellow freak. Okay, so I took that first thing I did. I took it to Mako paint and I had him paint that sucker yellow, all yellow. So it glowed when I went down the street and down the freeways and I was tooting the horn, worshiping God, praying in tongues. Got my truck. My truck. And then the Fred Jordan Mission downtown Los Angeles says, hey, you know, Jason, do you guys get, do you get, you know, cakes, you know, pies and cakes and cookies and different things like that? I said, no, but, but, you know, I'm sure that somehow God will open the door. I said, don't worry about it. So then I said, God, you know, I need some, I need cakes now. I need some cookies. They've made a request. He said, Jason, why do you need that stuff? I said, so I can preach the gospel and feed more poor people. He said, it's on the way, my son. I went from faith over to great faith. I'm walking out of Albertson's one day and the lady goes to me, hey, are you Jason? I said, yeah, what's your name? She goes, I'm Cindy. She goes, I work in the bakery. She goes, would you be interested in taking our cakes and pies and cookies as well? <laughs> I said, yeah, absolutely. She goes, oh, come, come with me. Thousands of cakes and cookies and pies. Thousands. And I went, all this for me? She goes, oh, yeah. And by the way, 
I've been with the company for 25 years and I've been on the phone with all the other Albertsons around Orange County. And there's seven of them right now that want to give you everything as well. So I went from one Albertsons to seven overnight. I quadrupled and went from the hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of food to the millions of dollars worth of food. Then I'm walking out and she goes, oh, let me introduce you. Yeah, this is this is the lady that works at all the uh, uh, the, the meat lady and all of the seafood and the steaks. And then they introduced me to the dairy lady that had all of the eggs and the cheeses and everything. And I said, Oh my gosh. I said, is all this for me? And she goes, yeah, this is only one Albertsons, Jason. You've got seven more to pick up today. I went, oh my God. See, God's not too much. Or God's not more than enough. He's too much. He's too much. And I said, all right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my God. I had all this. Next thing I know, I'm the first person in the history of Starbucks to get to get cameras actually in the Starbucks. I got Starbucks on television in 150 countries for free. It says in their mission statement, we do not support religious organizations. But every three months, Starbucks wrote my ministry a big old fat check. We closed down the streets of Los Angeles. We fed 15,000 people in one afternoon. All the Starbucks corporate people came down. I was in. I won every award. They wanted me to speak at their West Coast Leadership Conference. They wanted me to speak. They started started implementing what I'm doing that is still going today in their training sessions. Senior Vice President comes down. He says, I have to just shake your hand. I said, excuse me, Dennis. I said, you know I'm a Christian, right? He goes, yeah, he's Jewish. I said, I just want you to know if it comes between Jesus or Starbucks, you guys can go suck an egg because Jesus is first. He goes, you have my permission, young man, to do anything you want to do in a very secular company. I said, next thing you know, we're on television all over the place. Jewish man walks into Starbucks and goes, you're Jason, you feed the hungry. I said, yeah. He said, can I write you a check for eight grand? I said, really? I said, you sure can. I said, but you're Jewish. I said, I'm a Christian. He said, you're helping people, right? I've never had anything turn the heads of the unbeliever more than feeding the hungry. I said, God, I'm almost done. I don't even know what time do I go to. What time did you? Okay. How many of you give me five, 10, 10 more minutes? How many of you give me 10 more minutes? Okay, cool. 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. We got another hour. Okay. Are you catching this? Okay. Are you catching this? Okay, so then I'm like, oh my God, I need a bigger boat, or a bigger boat. I could have used a boat too. I'll have a boat one day. Actually, a ship. I said, I need a bigger truck. He said, Jason, why do you need a bigger truck? I said, so I can feed more poor people. I can preach your gospel. He said, Jason, you just went from faith over to great faith. He said, your truck's on the way. I go to Kuwait every September. Every September I'm in Kuwait. And all of a sudden, we're getting ready to go to war, the second Gulf War. The Holy Spirit wakes me up, says, Jason, Jason, get in the country, change your ticket now, get in Kuwait. And I said, wow, the war's getting ready to start. Okay. So I call my travel agent, excuse me, Holly, I need to change my ticket. I need to be on the next flight into Kuwait. She goes, Jason, the war's getting ready to start. Are you going to, all my Christian friends, you're going to come home in a body bag. What are you doing going to the Middle East right now? Saddam Hussein's going to fire chemical and biological weapons. That doesn't care. God told me to go. I was the last plane to land in Kuwait before they shut the Kuwait airport down. They shut everything down. I was the last, last flight in. 
Everybody was going out into Abu Dhabi and Dubai and Jordan. They were getting out of Kuwait because when Saddam invaded the first Gulf War back in the early 90s, he came in at 6 o'clock in the morning and the Kuwaitis, they're all fat and overweight. They sleep all day and they party all night. So he invaded early in the morning. So this time everybody was scared. They were just getting out. Everybody was putting duct tape and, and, and plastic over their windows because they thought Saddam was going to fire biological and chemical weapons. So I land in Kuwait. I'm the last one. The airport's empty. And this man walks up to me and goes, young man, do you know the war is getting ready to start? He said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I'm supposed to be here. He says, who are you? I said, don't worry about it. My father, he owns all this. He owns all this. Oh, you must be an important man. I said, absolutely. I'm an ambassador. He looked at me like I was smoking crack. He's like, who are you? I'm just Jason. All of a sudden, George Bush says, 48 hours, Saddam, surrender. There was checkpoints all throughout Gulf Road, all down the Persian Gulf. Everybody had gas masks on, except me. I was the only one. Checkpoint after checkpoint after checkpoint. Bush says, 48 hours, we're coming in. Saddam, surrender, or 48 hours, we're coming in. So the pastor, Pastor Jerry, who just went home to be with the Lord, unfortunately, called me on the phone and he said, Jason, you know, the war's getting ready to start. I said, yeah, pastor, man, I can't believe my family thinks I'm nuts. My friend thinks I'm nuts. My brain's telling me I'm nuts, but I'm supposed to be here. He goes, you're the only one that would come. He said, you're the only one that would come. He said, are you going to be at church in the morning? I said, does a snake have hips? Does a dog have fleas in Oklahoma? Does a chicken have lips? Of course I'm going to be there. What do you think? I came here to sit in a bunker. He said, good, because we won't be. I said, that's a good job on me. So I'm shaving, putting my clothes on the morning of the war. And all of a sudden, like six o'clock, boom. All the air raid sirens start going around the city. Okay, the Tomahawk missiles were coming in and the Patriot missile defense systems were, were, were hitting Saddam's Scud missiles. The windows were vibrating. And I thought, you guys have earthquakes here. No, it was the Tomahawk missiles going into Baghdad. And I said, I got to go to church. So a guy comes to pick me up. <laughs> like this. And I'm like, bro, we are the only car on the streets of Kuwait the morning of the war. Nobody else, everybody had gas masks on except me. We're the only one, the only car. We pull up to our first checkpoint. Everybody's got their M16s. There's tanks. There's, you know, everybody's got it. And he says, uh, young man, what are you doing out here? I said, my father owns this place. I'm on my way to church. I'm the preacher. He goes, either you know God or you're smoking dope, buddy. He said, all right, hurry. And I, got, I didn't stop at one checkpoint all the way through. Took me all the way through. I get up. Out of 4,000, about 50 showed up. I preached out of Psalms 27. What can man do to me? I said, listen, people, if a, if a missile comes through the, the roof, we'll be with Jesus by noon. Don't worry about it. We'll just, it's like turning off, on and off a light. After three days, we had pushed the forces back to Basra. The country began to start moving again. I got a phone call from the penthouse of the royal family of Kuwait. Excuse me, you've been summoned to come here. I said, really? I'll be there. You want to talk about wealth, people? These guys are so disgustingly wealthy, it's not even funny. It starts at opulence. Their houses are football fields long. And, oh my gosh. 
I said, okay, so I'll be there. I went there. Next thing I know, I'm in the penthouse of the royal family. All of a sudden, next thing I know, all these people come out and start, would you like some apple juice, some orange juice, some mango juice, some cookies? I said, yeah, I'll take apple juice. I want mango juice. I want cookies. I said, I want it all. Could you bring it right here in front of me? Why? Because the Bible says he will make a table for you in the midst of your enemies. And I had all these guys in dish dashes, the Arab outfit serving me. I had my Starbucks shirt on, my hat on backwards. Walked in in shorts. They looked at me like, are you Jason? I said, yeah, how you doing, bro? What's happening? It took the the pastor 17 years to get a bank account there. I got mine in three days. And they filled it with Kuwaiti dinar and U.S. dollars. And Kuwaiti dinar at that time, one Kuwaiti dinar was worth four U.S. dollars. The highest currency in the world. It actually still is the highest currency in the world. All of a sudden, hey, we want to introduce you to some people. I said, oh, okay, who's this? Oh, this is IBM. This is Dell. This is Showtime and HBO. They were all in Kuwait trying to get contracts. And so next thing I know, I'm shaking hands with all of these CEOs. And I'm sitting up there just going, God, and all my Christian friends said, what are you doing going to Kuwait? Don't you know you're in pride? Who do you think you are? I said, I know, you know what? For the first time in my life, I know who I am. I'm a son of God. I'm not the son of God. I am a son of God. And my father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. And remember how to speed up your destiny. So I start talking to these guys. And the guy goes, could you pray for all of us? I said, are you sure? Here? Oh, I let it fly. Father, in the name of Jesus, bless them. And they're all, all these CEOs are like this. It was awesome. Pulls out his pen, writes me a big old fat check and says, I heard you need a truck to feed the poor. And I went. God, you brought me all the way across the world in a war (laughs) to give me a truck to feed the homeless. Why? Because I went from faith over to great faith and using my faith to serve my community. I said, is this for me? He said, yeah. He goes, "Um, by the way, young man, he says, I work with all these oil sheiks here. He said, half of them are a bunch of morons. He said, they've never worked a day in their life and they're multi-billionaires. And he says, I see a guy like you busting his butt day after day to make the world a better place. He says, I have no problem. Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm the CEO of Showtime. And he says, when the day comes, I'd love to just air your, 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 your food ministry all over the world for you. And I went. And my Christian friends, even my friends at Hillsong. What are you doing going over there? You're going to get in trouble. You're going to come home in a body bag. I'm like, shut up. I got my big old truck. Using my faith to serve others. You start really using your faith to serve other people. You'll go from faith to great faith and God will pull the hand grenade a pin on your hand grenade or whatever it is he's called you to do and things will start speeding up. Does that mean you're going to have adversity? I, of course, you, you're always going to have adversity. You're always going to have challenges. Jesus never said it would be easy, but he did say he would walk with us. He never said it would be easy. That's why when people come to Jesus, I, I never say, well, come to Jesus, be blessed. He'll prosper you. No, when you come to Jesus, get ready for war, people. You better get ready for war. Start using your faith to serve others. And you can live in that great faith. Right now, I'm using my, my, my faith for the Middle East. I want North Korea. 
I want Iran. I want Kazakhstan. I want all these places. I was just on the North Korean border not too long ago, just sitting prophesying, open in Jesus' name. I'm coming one day, open in Jesus' name. God, I want North Korea. I want Iran. He said, Jason, why do you want those places? I said, so I can get them saved. So I'm just waiting. I've been invited to Iran. I've got like 10 friends that have been martyred over there. They just whack them. I'm like, yeah, they want me to go back to Syria right now. I'm trying to get back into Syria. They want to smuggle me in through Beirut, Lebanon. All the places that got gassed, I've been, I've preached all throughout Syria. In fact, that's one of the places I got captured. In Damascus, guns to my head. I'm sitting there going, oh gosh, I hope my intercessors are not at Starbucks. Please, somebody be praying for me right now. And they said, what do you do? What do you do? I said, I feed the poor. And they said, impossible. There's no poor in America. That's what they said, all the Muslims with guns out. There's no poor in America. I said, dude, you are smoking crack. That's what I told him. He said, what's crack? I said, never mind. I said, just in Los Angeles alone, there's over a half a million people that live on the street. That's just Los Angeles. They were dumbfounded. He said, so you feed the poor man. You take from the rich and you give to the poor, kind of like Robin Hood. I said, yeah, but I do it ethically. I don't, I don't steal from the rich and give to the poor. God told me, if you go to the poor man, I'll bring the rich to your doorstep. I'll bring the rich to your doorstep to finance it. I said, yeah, I feed the poor man. You know what they did? They dropped everything. They lifted their hands up and they said, welcome to Syria. We're so sorry. Please, you feed the poor man. Welcome to our country. And I sat there going, oh, wow, God, you are awesome. No one's ever going to believe this one because I really can't believe it right now. And I went to shake his hand. He goes, no, we can't even touch you. You feed the poor man. And they caught me with 700 pounds of John and Lisa's materials. All these books, Bibles, CDs, tapes, teachings, everything. I said, what about all of this stuff? He said, please take it in. Please take everything in. And the Holy Spirit said, Jason, I've opened a window for you. Shut up. Get out of there now. Don't have a conversation with these people. Okay, I've opened a window. Shake, move. Move. Using my faith. I was during the Israeli-Lebanese war. One more story and then I'll let you, because I have hundreds of stories. Israeli-Lebanese war. And they start, uh, Israel starts bombing Lebanon. Lebanon starts bombing Israel. A million people were refugees. The rich went to Amman, Jordan. The poor went to Damascus, Syria. I was in Damascus at the time. The pastor came to me and said, you've got to get out of Damascus now. Anti-Israeli uh, uh, America marches all over Damascus. Everything was just, you know, and I'm kind of like James Bond. You know, I, I love, I just love breaking the rules. It's so fun. I know I'm not supposed to, but I just, I'm 95% Christian and 5% rascal. Okay. And so I said, you know, pastor, I want to go out and see the marches. I want to see, you know, it was Jason. If they find you, they're going to shoot you. I said, well, they won't catch me. They won't catch me. I said, let me, I just never seen it before. I want to go out and see it. So I snuck and covert and I was hiding in a tree and they were burning the Israeli flag. They were burning the American flag. They were anti-chance and everything like that. He says, you need to get out of Syria now. He says, I have a Muslim taxi driver who's a friend of mine. And he's going to smuggle you in to Amman, Jordan. You need to get into Jordan. It's a lot safer because Jordan and Egypt are the only two countries that have peace with Israel. They have a peace treaty with Israel. So when I go into the Middle East, if I have an Israeli stamp in my passport, they won't let me in. Lebanon will not let you in if you have an Israeli stamp in your passport. They hate Israel that much. So I, I said, okay, so we're going through the Syrian desert in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden, I get pulled over. When we come up to the first checkpoint, we bribed him, got past it, second checkpoint. All of a sudden, next thing I know, the car's completely surrounded. The dogs are out. There's hundreds of cars, and they come to my car. 
They're putting the, the, the mirrors underneath, looking for bombs. Drag me out of the car, find me 600 pounds of luggage, all of John and Lisa's and my stuff and everything. And he goes, dude, you are in trouble. Who are you? And they found discs and CDs and everything like that. And he says, you know, we have to go through every one of these CDs. He said, because you could be Al-Qaeda. I said, do I look like Al-Qaeda? I'm like, you're kidding me, right? Beat the crap out of me, drug me out, dogs, everything. I'm sitting there for hours and hours and hours. Finally, finally, I know he was a general because he had tons of brass and bars all like this. And he's, he's about, he's about where, where the guy in the blue shirt is. And he's looking at me and I'm just kind of sitting here like this. And I go, I didn't know what to do. I was just praying in tongues. And he, says, he starts walking over to me like this. And he gets about, let's say that that, that that guy's me. He's walking over and he gets about right here and he goes. He just starts shaking. And I was like. And he, he backs up. His eyes start watering. He starts sneezing. Second time he walks up and he comes closer like this and he goes. And then I knew it was the Holy Spirit. I'm like, get him. Smack him, Holy Ghost. Get him right now. Third time, he walks right up to you. He goes, I don't know who you are. He's a big old general, a little weasel me. He puts his finger right in my nose. He says, I have no idea who you are, and I've never done this before. But he says, you, you can go. You can go. I said, thank you. My father owns all this. My father owns all this. The guy behind me was a Syrian guy. He said, oh, my God, I just saw a miracle. I was like, dude, this happens to me all over the world. All over the world. Why? Because my father owns it. Why? Because I'm using my faith to serve other people. And you'll go from faith into great faith. And Jesus will stop. And he'll say, oh, you had to, Hamlin, didn't you? He'll walk in, pick you up, and start moving you into your destiny speedily. Amen? Amen. Amen. Did you learn something today? Good. Let's give the Lord a clap.